Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. Rick Kelly takes on the Thunderdome. Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome! Erebus announced that the Davisons will share a car at Bathurst. Sort of um, supported each other all through our careers, um, but have never had the opportunity to, to share a car together. So That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 of the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Here's the news for Nobrac carbon fibre products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. Rick Kelly and Nissan Motorsport have taken the Jack Daniels Ultima to Calder Park Thunderdome to cut a new video which has gone viral. For us it was just about circulating, not trying to set the world on fire. It was more of a demonstration than anything. So, you know, so I'd love to go down there one day uh, and set the car up as best we could for an oval and have a bit more of a go. But again, a supercar is not designed for that. You'd probably roll a tyre off the wheel if you pushed in, you know, a lot harder than what we were going. So, um, yeah, you probably couldn't do it, but definitely it would be a, it would be a lot of fun to see what times you get. Talking to someone that, that used to be laps around there, they reckon like a 27-second lap would be, it used to be pretty good from like a NASCAR point of view at that circuit. So it'd be fun to see how close you could get a supercar. His average lap speed was around 200 kilometres an hour, which is faster than the car's average at Mount Panorama. You can hear more about the Thunderdome ride on this week's White Flag Lap. Nissan, Hornets, well, they've announced the Pertec Cup pairings with Dean Fiore joining Michael Caruso and Taz Douglas with James Moffat. Meanwhile, Will and Alex Davison will drive together at Erebus. It's the first time they have shared the same car at the endurance events. Definitely been close a few times. Tried to make it happen back in the DJR days and um, obviously under the same roof at FPR last season. But uh, certainly, yeah, we nearly nearly made it happen in 2012. Um, but, uh, you know, for unfortunate circumstances, Alex not being on the grid full time, which he should be. But certainly, uh, it's a double bonus for me. I think I've got the best co-driver out there, and you know, I've got my brother. So it's certainly a pretty, pretty cool thing that we've been able to make happen. The Davisons are very competitive, as we saw the last time they were on the track together. It wasn't until we were both in V8 supercars that we ever actually competed against each other. And touch wood, actually, I was going to say we've never crashed into each other on the track, but actually we have. Um, but obviously. This time round, it's not going to be possible for us to crash into each other. So last time we raced each other, I was passing him on the last lap at Homebush. Last time he actually <laughs> sat in a race car uh, got... for third in the championship, and he didn't make it easy, like some people said. He so, didn't uh, pay me a cut of his commission either. I was thinking of money it. Either. <laughs> but two drivers have wanted to race together for some time, 
and talked about the missed opportunities. Definitely been close a few times, tried to make it happen back in the DJR days and um, obviously under the same roof at FPR last season. But uh, certainly, yeah, we nearly nearly made it happen in 2012. Um, but, uh, you know, for unfortunate circumstances, Alex not being on the grid full time, which he should be, but certainly uh, it's a double bonus for me. I think I've got the best co-driver out there and, you know, I've got my brother, so it's certainly a pretty, pretty cool thing that we've been able to, to make happen. The future of Vet Supercar's two-day format could be determined soon as the sport is reviewing all aspects of its race weekend, particularly following criticisms of the Simmons Plain and Winton events. It's thought that the Speed TV new broadcasting deal could make reduction in days on track extremely difficult, so we'll watch this space to see how it pans out. Mark Winterbottom has told the Vad Insiders that his weekend in Brazil was a fantastic experience. Yeah, come about, um, Manu is the engineer on uh, on that car, and um, they had an international race, pretty well the same as what the Gold Coast format was that we had two years ago, and um, they looked around the world, and Manu was pushing for, for me to go over, so it was, um, yeah, it was pretty well just, just through the engineer, and they all wanted open wheeler drivers because they thought, you know, the open wheeler guys would be a lot quicker. But um, yeah, it was really good. It was good to get there and actually race against different people and see where you're at on a like on a, on a different scale, I guess, different drivers, different car. And um, it was good. It's good to actually do a good job. So then he it made him feel better about choosing and, and pushing for you. So uh, and also coming from Australia costs a lot more money. So. To get a V8 guy costs more money than getting a guy from America or um, or Europe, so he had to justify the spend to get you there for the plane ticket and um, putting you in the lead car for their team. So it was yeah, it's a fair bit going on, but eventually everyone agreed and it was good, good result. We have more from Frosty in the weeks ahead. Speaking about drivers heading overseas, Craig Lowndes is heading to Belgium to race in the 24 Hours of Spa. It'll be his first 24-hour event but at the Spa track where he last competed at in 1997, driving a Formula 3000. And finally, the new edition of V8X magazine is on sale this week. Find out more about HRT as they celebrate 25 years in Australian motorsport. Gary Rogers talks about the success of his Volvo team, and we find out more about podium man Dale Wood. It's on sale in stores online. You can check out the great new VADX app at VADX.com.au. That's the news on V8 Insiders brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. That's N-O-B-R-A-C.com.au. On this week's roundtable, it's Adrian Mussolino from VADX Magazine and Tony Whitlock. I hope you'll stay with us. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. 
The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us on the line, it's Tony Whitlock. Good evening, Tony. Hello, Craig. And from VX Magazine, it's Adrian Mussolino. And Adrian, the, the new edition is not far away now. Yeah, it'll be on sale across Australia from Thursday, um, just in time for the Easter long weekend. So uh, Holden Racing Team Special Edition to celebrate their 25th, 25th season in the series. So look out for that one. All right. Now, that's interesting. 25th season in the series or 25th season in Australian motorsport? Because I don't think the other one's gone 25 years yet. And no, 25th um, season in the Australian Touring Car Championship slash Fiat Supercars. 1990 was their first year with Wynn Percy as a single car entry and um, they won Bathurst that year as well. So mm. um, a lot to sort of look back on and ahead to with Adrian Burgess now at the helm. Mm. Now, Tony, back in 1990, the place where you're actually parked out in front of the Calder Park Thunderdome was yes, up and going. Only because only I'm driving home, which is <laughs> way past where I am now. I don't frequent this place often. I'm very wary about touching anything here. Um, just thinking of statistics and all those things that I do, uh, Adrian, a stat that you may not know, that there was one that... I told Freddie Gibson and Alan Heafy when Craig Lowndes made his debut in the Ford team that Freddie uh, and Alan Heafy were running. When Craig Lowndes made his debut at Eastern Creek in 1994, or was it 96? 96, rather. When he made his debut in the championship in 96, he won two of the three races and the round on his debut meeting. And he matched HRT's eight-year history in the category. <laughs> that, that says a lot about those early years, definitely. And it was, it was interesting well, putting together this issue and seeing the the early struggles of the team. And you know, had it not been for well, that, uh, Bathurst, been first the, up. Their, their focus was Bathurst. You know, they, they didn't do the whole championship for quite some years, and they, their focus was definitely Bathurst. Interestingly, Robbie Benson, who was the engine builder and one of Win Percy's key men, who's won Le Mans, who's won championships to building engines for Hendrix, who's done all sorts of things, and his greatest achievement was winning that Bathurst with Wynn Percy and Alan Grice, because it was so unexpected. Absolutely, and we have um, an interview with John Crennan in the edition where he reflects on that win and how, if it wasn't for that victory, the, the team might not have survived, given the yeah. more at the time with Tom Walkershaw and... Um, Larry Perkins' effort before that and um, Wynn Percy. So um, very interesting history and how it all came to be. Mm. Well, I guess uh, we could talk about uh, the history of HRT all day, but you'd prefer people to get the V8X magazine so they can read about it. So uh, we'll kick on and uh, talk about the Thunderdome because the Thunderdome, we saw Rick Kelly, Adrian Mussolino, last weekend, I think it was on a Saturday, uh, take his car out there and cut a few laps at an average speed of 200 kilometres per hour, mind you. Yeah, it was um, 
during the AE ride day at Mr Motorsport conducted out at Calder, uh, the road course and um, they saw the opportunity to run on the Thunderdome and good on them. It was a great bit of PR. It definitely got a lot of attention and it definitely kick-started the debate about whether V8 Supercars should consider racing on an oval. Obviously, the Calder Park Thunderdome, um, for people who aren't aware, is not really in a state for use. It's been sort of left um, in a bad way for some years now, so it would obviously need a big redevelopment, but it's an interesting idea. Rick seems supportive of it, and it's definitely possible. NASCAR have proven that, but um, whether it's feasible is another question. Too many changes have to be made to the cars to be able to do it, Tony, but it it's an interesting question to pose. Do we need to have an oval track or two overlander to really make this championship a better championship? It's an interesting thing because um, I actually, when I viewed the uh, footage of Rick, I was stunned to see that they actually ran anti-clockwise. Yep, which is the NASCAR direction, not the OzCar direction. Correct, Hmm. which I would have put him the other way around, so at least the driver was the inside away from the wall, which I was stunned when I saw it. I thought, well, they got that back to front, didn't they? We know that, you know, Brad Jones, for instance, who ran both Oscar and NASCAR, knew which way to point their cars whenever they went out and track. Maybe yeah. Rick just never got that opportunity. Well, I think more the case, he's a big NASCAR fan. He wanted to do it that way. But the other thing is, when the car spins around and hits the wall, if you're driving on the inside of the car, which, of course, is the correct place for weight and balance, of course, the car spins around and hits the wall on the driver's side anyway. So, you know, how much are you yeah, really saving? So, but then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you didn't yeah. answer my question, so obviously you didn't like it. Uh, look, it was a novel, it was a novelty event, and yeah, interesting they do it. Um, <laughs> I uh, I started a rumor many years ago, probably about uh, fifteen years ago, when IndyCar was running in troubles up in the surface. I started a rumor they were going to build a track up near Normal, <laughs> which was all just my fabrication. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Something that has been uh, interesting is, uh, well, Russell Ingall Spray. We spoke about it last week, but I know, Tony, you wanted to have your say on your thoughts about a driver having a spray. And uh, well, it's, Yeah, it's third time lucky for Russell. His, his first really serious uh, crime was back against Mike Emery in 2000 at Queensland Raceway when he uh, was held up for one corner. I think it was Scaife who was in front of Russell on the track. Might have been last time, I can't remember. But anyway, Scaife, Russell was held up one corner and um, whoever it was went away to win the race or get second or whatever. And Russell um, slowed down coming out of turn six on the last lap to uh, and uh, Emery unlapped himself and Russell went and hit him in the uh, left, uh, the, the right rear quarter, turned Emery round, the car spun down the road, and Larry Perkins, in a group of six cars, racing to the line, just avoided him. Had to snap sideways, run across the uh, the grass at the exit for pit lane, and it was a massive accident. Russell uh, should have been sent home at that moment. I had I wrote about it, and dozens of people, and it's probably one of the times when more people reacted to what I wrote, saying that Russell should have been sent home than ever before. I mean, people are like of Ronnie Harrop, you know, really regard, well-regarded people. Uh, and, of course, when uh, Scaife and uh, Russell came together at Eastern Creek, um, 
There was uh, an incident when Garth Weekston uh, gave them both a penalty, I think $10,000. He gave a CD of uh, Chevron's, one of those best V8 crashes. I gave that to Garth Wigston when he was on duty at the Australian Grand Prix as a steward. When he saw the footage of Mike Imrie, which was footage that hadn't been seen before because it was overhead crane, when he saw that footage of Mike Imrie being turned by Russell Ingle, it was exactly the same as what he did to Mark Scaife. And, and Garth told me that if he'd seen that, he would have sent Russell home immediately. I mean, it's just you know, ridiculous that people can behave in this way as Russell did in bleating off and mouthing off against stewards, um, he is very lucky to get away with not having to pay the full 15. Mm, it's an interesting one because uh, he, he, he made a mistake and then tried to blame the officials for handing out what I think most people, and even if he did drag him over onto the hill, they would have just gone, Adrian, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, I think what's been lost in this whole incident is the actual crime itself, and that was um, the tap he gave David Wall, which sent him into James Moffat, and, you know, it took out two cars out of the equation right there and then. And so, you know, that's a drive-through penalty most days of the week. Um, As to Russell's reaction, look, he did overstep the mark when he threatened the officials. We don't mind drivers having their say and being up front and giving us something to write about and the fans to get excited about, but when there's threats involved, that's when you overstep the mark. Mm. Pete Wallerman Pete used to say, and, and I used to call him the hanging judge, but anyway, Pete Wallerman said, you ruin someone else's day, we'll ruin yours. And that's what it was about. Yeah. It, it, the next day, though, Sunday, we had the pit lane speeding penalties, and uh, it brings into a question, because now Lucas Dumbrell, and it's interesting, it's Lucas Dumbrell Motorsports that have brought out their data to show that they didn't go over the 40 kilometre hour speed limit, yet we have this situation where we have data, engineering data that comes from the data loggers on the car, and we have an equation between two pit loops on the pit entrance. Now, NASCAR uses pit loops all the way down the, uh, all the, way down the uh, pit straight, and if you go too quickly through a loop, then you know you're going to come down pit lane again. But we have this fascinating situation in VR supercars where we do have data. It's, it's a thing called judge of fact in the same way, you know, that they talk about jump starts or false starts and those sort of things. Um, judge of fact says, and look, there was a story, I think it might have been uh, Damien White involved in it, that talks about how there were 400 and something or other cars that came down pit lane without getting penalties. And that's the real judge of the whole thing. The fact that all those other cars went down pit lane without speeding, bingo, that these ones were. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, judge of fact says they were caught, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a, might be unsightly, might be ungainly, and it'd be better if we had better technology, and that comes in time. I mean, you go back and look at Formula One, it was only in the 1980s that, that proper timing happened in Formula One, for Christ's sake, you know? <laughs> Adrian? Yeah, I think Tony's right in that one, and um, as he said, if there was something wrong with the mechanics of how to determine pit lane speeding, then a lot more drivers would have copped a penalty. And but you know, I do have a concern when a team can prove that they weren't speeding, and then a team gets a penalty. It's, it's all a bit confusing for the fan out there, and um, I think there needs to be some sort of simpler. Um, why using the better technology that's available to um, stop these inconsistencies. Look at the reaction of Fabian Coulthard, 
who was second to Winterbottom on his tail, and he rushed up to him. And he accepted it and got on with it. Now, he was online to maybe even have a win that day. And yet he realised that, hang on, you know, we've been pings, accept it. Mm. Yeah, a lot of talk by all the engineers afterwards. And, in fact, we even heard on the show last week uh, Grant McPherson saying after the first couple of guys got done, he just told Frosty, take it even easier than you normally would. And, uh, and that was the situation that they were playing with because they knew it was it was certainly causing problems. Uh, it would be interesting to see if someone goes back out and measures the loops and find out that they had the uh, the distance wrong by a millimetre or so because uh, yeah. that would certainly change the equation. But one thing we ha- will change, we'll change topics when we come back from the break here on the V8 Insiders. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Tony Whitlock, Adrian Mussolino and Craig Revell joining you. And uh, Craig Lowndes is going back to Spa, Tony, and, uh, to drive the 24-hour race. I know it's been announced a while ago, but this is the first time we've actually had time to take a breath and uh, talk about it. And uh, Craig, one thing about it for him uh, Craig Lowndes, that is, is that it's yep. a track he's raced at before in his Formula 3000 days. Yeah, and that's fantastic for him so, to get that chance to go back there. It's a long time ago, of course. That was in 97. But, yeah, great for him to do it. And I'm really pleased for him because, you know, he is somebody that hasn't done enough overseas stuff and didn't show his skill. And, you know, while he may be shaded the whole time by Jamie in his career, uh, in his latter part of his career, uh, he's still a great driver with great skill and great uh, uh, great presence and camaraderie and, and you know, has a, a way and gets out there. And I know that he'll make an impact on those Europeans. Yep, he, he made an impact over there before, but just didn't have the money to go on with it. But, Adrian, it, it's an interesting situation. I know you and I sat down with Mark Winterbottom and, and had a chat to him about his experience in Brazil. And it, it's great to see these drivers getting a bit more international recognition. It is, but both for the drivers and the series itself because it's a great promotion of um, the driving talent we have here and um, how competitive our series is, the fact that these drivers can go overseas, very limited time in the cars, perhaps not knowing the tracks and compete so well. You know, you look at Mark Winterbottom scoring a podium in Brazil um, in a car he'd never driven before, a track he'd never, you know, seen in person before and... Um, but it's a great credit, and uh, you know it's good to see that the V8 Supercar series and teams are, are letting the drivers off the leash a bit, and you know they can go off and do what they like on their non-V8 racing weekends. And it's a, the best way to promote the sport is to get the drivers out there in as many different categories and as many different events as possible. Tony, I think the series letting them and and obviously their contracts have been changed a bit to free them up but it's one man at the top 
that isn't absolutely protective of his drivers racing only in his series. And that, of course, is the departure of Tony Cochran. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, in fact, in Pookie, of course, that uh, there'll be the new Z NZ uh, Super Tourers lining up against the V8 supercars. Uh, two different ends of the spectrum on a, uh, a control categories, uh, one with control engines, one without, and uh, very much different car scale, but they won't be that different in times, I'm sure. Mm. Yep, and uh, one seeing the uh, cars, now the engineers have had more time on them, uh, really starting to develop more and more speed out of them so the big fear that the cars weren't quick enough is is starting to be realized that that was just teething issues last year yeah and look the great thing is still that uh, while most of the things i mean obviously the independent rear end and uh, the location of components in the car like the you know engine locations but one of the key things the albans uh, transaxle um you know while there have been teething issues they really have been reasonably insignificant. I mean, sure, there have been some people like Van Giz uh, in Adelaide and uh, Craig, I think, at one stage, and Jamie's had one as well. They've had transaxle failures, but they're relative to the overall series, very, very few. And certainly at Bathurst, in a major 1,000K race, that wasn't a reason that anybody stopped. Mm. Yeah, Adriana, it, it is... It was one of the big shadows that were cast over the new generation cars, wasn't it? Could they be as reliable as a car that was 20 years in development? Absolutely, because you know, after 20 years of development, the last you know variation of the V8 supercar was pretty bulletproof. And you know the teams are now unlo- unlocking that speed. They're going back to circuits for a second time, and you know I think you'll find now there'll be big gains. And um, the one you know. In fact, we're all looking forward to is Bathurst because with the resurfacing there in the off-season and the new cars unlocking more speed, you know, that's going to be fascinating to see the lap times there and how, you know, surely the record will go and by how much. Tony? I think one of the other things that will really show up there, in particular, Adrian, is that the cars won't be as nervous as they were last year. I mean, the one thing, I mean, remember, there was only one driver out of all 56 or whatever there were that actually wasn't uh, nervous in the car, and that was um, Mark Lee, because he's driven Porsches all his life. He'd not known what a solid rear axle was like, solid rear end. <laughs> uh, of course, yeah. Tony, the one team that just is having a little bit of reliability problem is uh, your good old mate Gary Rogers and uh, his Volvo crew. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, it's understandable given the speed at which they turned those cars around. I mean, the lucky thing for them was that they'd already cotton onto a chassis uh, and won races last year with Scotty, and uh, clearly they had that side of the arrangement down. So then just getting an engine, and, and that does work well. It's going to be interesting to see how this parity situation comes out with the uh, engine weights. But, you know, it's understandable they have some of these things. I mean, obviously, uh, Polestar were learning a whole new engine program. You know, I mean, it wasn't an engine that they'd ever used before. Interestingly, I don't know if any, either of you guys had heard that um, it might have been like the old BMW F1 engines in that they'd bought up second-hand engines from customers, new cars they'd known. You know, that old uh, the Yamaha engine? Mm, yeah, well, there was... That wasn't. They, were ba- they bought 25 or were given 25 brand-new blocks with, with heads by Volvo to build their race program. So they started from scratch with new pieces, nothing, nothing old second-hand. Interesting, because there was one stage uh, with the f- development of the Ford V8s where 
there was a change in the castings and people were going out and just trying to find any old cast right, block yeah. that they could find just because it was far more reliable than uh, the, what the new cast blocks were. They were, yeah, had, had porous problems with them. Mm. Yeah. But, um, yeah. All right. Uh, look, uh, just before we go, Adrian, I wanted to ask you, what do you think of the Nissan Hornets endurance team with Fury joining Caruso and over there, of course, with uh, uh, Taz Douglas and James Moffat? Yeah, I think uh, the Moffat-Douglas combination proved it was quick last year. I think they were... Um, on for a podium at, on the, at the Gold Coast at one stage, and Taz is doing the Dunlop series, so he's getting plenty of mileage. Um, Fiore and Caruso is a good combo as well. I think Fiore, you know, has been very underrated because of his struggles, first in his single car entry and then at Lucas Dumbrell. But, you know, he's a quick steerer, and um, he's doing some Porsche Pro Cup racing, I'm led to believe. So it's definitely a good combo. Um, Interesting to see if Daniel Gaunt, who was there last year, um, ends up anywhere else as well because he's a good um, young Kiwi driver who um, probably hasn't had the chances he deserves but is sort of um, on the periphery there. Mm. I said last week on the show that he's tipped widely thought to be going to Dale Wood and as we finish up here, I wanted to ask Tony, who you have uh, spent a lot of time talking and and, uh, and, uh, just overseeing and watching how... Uh, Dale Wood has progressed. How did you feel when you saw him on the podium on that first race uh, on Saturday? That was fantastic. I mean, Dale is absolutely the greatest example of how somebody has gone away and remade themselves. From where he started out some years ago in development series and then the main game, fast-tracked into the main game before he should have been, um, and then to see the way in which he went about winning the Dunlop series and getting this drive, it is fantastic. He has done a superb job, and I'm really pleased to see him doing that well. Um, you know, he's not going to be a championship winner, but he's certainly going to be someone that's going to be able to put the car in the top ten. And uh, being at Brad Jones, that um, and he, as he showed, he was putting that car in the ten down in Tassie. Uh, fantastic work. Um, Fiori, I am so pleased for him to get a factory drive to get that. And that more than anything else, as you talked about, Adrian, for, for Fiori to get the chance to walk up with a helmet and that's it. You know, here you go, lad, just jump in the car. Uh, that is fantastic and Dino deserves it because five years of, of driving and striving and never getting quite a that he could jam a car up there, so it's fabulous for him as well. Mm. Taz, I think Taz's best work is still to come and I think it will come. And it's, it's I mean, one of the things that a lot of people have forgotten about or maybe even knew, you know, Taz did an amazing job in fighting cancer the way he did. And it's all just self-belief. And the more he can get into that situation, the more he'll show how good he is. Mm. And, of course, the uh, the link I was hoping to put up there was with Dale Wood. Of course, I think he's in your last lap page on VADX magazine in this edition. Yes, we um, we speak to Dale about his um, some of his off track stuff. He's an interesting one in that he has a career outside of supercars, which isn't that common common amongst the drivers. And he talks us through that and the fight back to get back in the main game. And um, as Tony said, you know, great down to earth guy who um, you know it's great to have in the series such good um, people and great ambassadors for the category. Exactly. I mean. When I first met him, I mean, he was a smart mouth. He always had some smart, glib comment. 
and he was a sticker boy at Kelly's then, and and he went away. He's got a terrific wife and a kid now, and it's it's just somebody applying themselves, and by Christ, he's succeeded. And I, I just can't praise people. You know, he wasn't um, handed a mammoth ticket that he's going to do this. He worked hard and made it happen. And I have enormous admiration for people who can actually rework their, their game plan and say, right, I need to do things differently. Mm. Yep, always a, a great fun guy to have a chat to as well. Guys, uh, pleasure to catch up with you this week on the show and, of course, uh, looking forward to, uh, well, hearing all about your trip to New Zealand, Tony, your uh, first outing for the year. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's going to be an amazing weekend, four days of V8s. Obviously, the supercars aren't on the uh, Thursday, but the only other New Zealand cars are. I think the meeting only has cars that have V8s in them. I don't think there's anything else. There's Utes, there's NZ V8s, and there's V8 Super Tours, and then on the uh, Friday, the uh, V8 Supercars are all that. So it should be amazing sort of weekend. Back in 96, the very first time I went with a V8 trail over there, it was an extraordinary meeting at Pukekohe. The people didn't want to go home, and they just hung around and hung around and watched Dick and Greg Murphy, who won that clean sheet of that round, um, and the, the euphoria, it was just extraordinary. And there's very few places I've actually ever felt that again. Certainly Darwin the first time we went there and Townsville the first time we went there. Just basic raw enjoyment for it. Mm. Of course, as you mentioned before, new V8X out this week. Yep, it's, um, as I said before, on sale Thursday, print edition across the country and also the digital version will be available through the VADX app and online at vadx.com.au. So hope everyone enjoys it. Um, it's a bit of everything. Um, we try our best to balance all five manufacturers in there and they're all represented with different features and things. So um, hope everyone enjoys well, thanks for joining us once again. The White Flag Lap, where Rick Kelly talks about his Thunderdome run, is up next. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we speak with Rick Kelly about the team taking on the Thunderdome. Yeah, well, I, I flew to um, America in, uh, no, uh, I was going to say 97, I'm not that old, in 2007 to, to scope out you know different sorts of racing around the world and what the opportunities were. And I had a real interest in, in obviously, the NASCAR side of things. And, um, you know, nothing really eventuated there with this. American economy at that point and the opportunities and also the position I was in here in Australia at that point was was very strong so um, we come back here but you always keep an eye on and you as a driver you always want to try different things and definitely one of those for me was you know was was driving a car competitively around an oval so when um, Mark Walker come up with the idea of chucking the V8 supercar in the Thunderdome I uh, you know I, I jumped at it the Thunderdome itself I, I, every time I go to court or I have a look at it and it's a, you know it is a, a shame it's just a, it, so much potential sitting there um, 
you know, wasting away. And, uh, you know, so as soon as we had the chance to chuck the car on there, we, like I say, we jumped at it and it was, it was quite interesting. It'd certainly take a few changes for the cars to be able to race at the Thunderdome or on an oval track. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's trees growing through the grandstands and weeds growing through the track and, and very, you know, it was very, very bumpy. But, you know, it created a, a quite a nice scene from a vision point of view to be to be jumping on an old wrecked, wrecked out track like that in a, in a brand new supercar and cutting some laps. I mean, the noise that a supercar makes, or a NASCAR for that matter, makes around an oval echoing off all the walls and the circuit because it's such a tight precinct, it's... um. It's quite incredible. So from that point of view, it was um, it was a real buzz, uh, and, and it, you know, it's, it, from a driving point of view as well, it's quite different. It um, it really pushes a car into the into the ground around the mid part of the corner, and um, it, you know, provides a very different level of grip and a very different feel in the car to what we're used to. So, uh, like I say, it's uh, it was really enjoyable. We didn't play with the car too much at all. We just went basically from the Nissan race straight across to um, the Thunderdome with the same setup and everything on it and, and away we went. So uh, it, from, it, it was uh, not, not quite ideal and we certainly weren't pushing it pace-wise either, but uh, like I say, quite enjoyable. And Rick, take a few changes on the parts of the car to be able to race on an oval track. Of course, uh, they just can't afford to have any glass, or in this case, it'd be plastic that could fracture and get in to puncture tyres at those sorts of speeds. Yeah, I know, but you, yeah, from a racing point of view, I don't know. Obviously, all the glass has gone out of all our windows and that now, but um, yeah, there's it's too many things to consider, isn't there? It's really, the car's not absolutely not designed for that, but uh, nevertheless, your, your mind still wonders. Well, the video has certainly gone viral. It's obviously something the fans were excited to see. Yeah, appreciate that. We're We've got a great um, bunch of guys in the, in the media department here and in the team in general coming up with different things to try. And, uh, you know, the, it did get uh, re- really good reviews from everyone. Everyone's excited to see something a little bit different instead of the same old thing and taking the car to the same old tracks, you know. And the question's got to be asked, and, you know, what what haven't we done with the V8 supercar? What surface haven't we driven on? What things haven't we tried? And, uh, you know, our minds are racing on what, what next. That was just a little bit of a taste, I think, of um, some of the ideas we've got. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can do more, more cool things like that in the future. Well, I hope you do get uh, a bit of a break between Easter and, of course, heading over to New Zealand for the next round of the championship. Yeah, get a couple of days off over Easter. Um, thank you. We're going to go race the boat again. And, as soon as we get back, we jump on the plane and head to New Zealand for a different format of racing and a track that I really enjoy. We we uh, had a, a good time there in the years prior to departing that circuit to go to the Hamilton one, and we really enjoyed it last year as well. And we've got you know a few improvements on the car since last year as well, so hopefully we can sneak ourselves into the pen and, and have a, a cracking, cracking good weekend. My thanks to Rick Kelly there. That's all we have time for on this week's show as the Checker Flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.